The Back Pocket is presented by GhostFit. GhostFit is a lifestyle clothing brand aimed towards fitness, meaning its purpose is aesthetically fit, like workout wear, but the minimal branding allows for wearing in any scene. Absolutely, and you can go ahead and go over to GhostFit Clothing, oh, GhostFitApparel.com, and right now they are marking all their t-shirts $5 off. That is a fantastic deal, let me tell you folks. And then starting on today, Monday, October 30th, we will be, they will be debuting their new long sleeve fits. Super icy, super cool. I've worn it myself. They're fantastically fit. They're unbelievable. I love them. Um, and they're going to be marking down so you can go ahead and get a pre-order on that. Um, if you pre-order it now, it's 30 bucks. Um, and you say, go ahead and save yourself some cash because right when they come out uh, normally, it's $32. So go ahead and uh, get after that pre-order. Mash that pre-order button. Get yourself some Ghost Fit clothing. Thank you. And go ahead and go to ghostfitapparel.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-F-I-T-A-P-P-A-R-E-L.com. It is Monday, October 30th, and the boys from the back pocket are a little chilly, but we're back. Happy Monday, folks. Andrew, how are we doing? Beep! Well, sorry, folks. Uh, I know you can't listen to Andrew or hear Andrew right now. He's been bleeped out. Um, This is because he is suspended by the NCAA um, for one, a half of a game. Yeah, and, you know, it's a great word-of-mouth opportunity, you know, for uh, the back pocket. Correct. uh, you know, the ref comes on the intercom in front of 5,000 fans and says, uh, number 36, or personal foul uh, on the defense, number 36. Um, number 36 will be, or targeting, hit to the head. Um, number 36 will be ejected. Uh, disqualified. Disqualified from the game. You know, everyone's like, boo, like, come on, 36, that's a bad call. You know, like, everyone's on your they side. They booing me, yeah. And they, yeah, they weren't booing you. They were booing the ref, and, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but it was a great word-of-mouth opportunity, and it made for a great average quality. And not, it was a great hit, and it wasn't. It was perfectly legal in my mind. Um, I like to think I'm an expert. Um, I think all fans of football like to think they're experts, um, but they're not. So I guess we were wrong on that. Maybe we appeal, maybe we don't, but nonetheless, uh, pretty average. Um, and now transitioning here, you know, trapping the puck. As we always do. We had a phenomenal weekend this weekend. It was an absolute weekend for the books. Oh. Uh, it got kick-started on a Thursday night uh, Grizz concert where Declan, myself, and second-string producer Mark Amick attended um, at the Myth, which we touched on a little bit with John Abraham. You know, it, the building, the location and all was pretty unique. Yeah. We headed to the mall, it felt like, in Rosedale or what, Maplewood. It's the best white suburbia, like, corner street mall you can ever ask for. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what makes it better? Uh, you put the Myth right there next to the Best Buy. Yeah. And it just makes for such a great, um, uh, it just great activities, uh, great fun. And, uh, you know, we, we probably drove around it like four or five times before we were like, oh, that's, a, that's actually a concert venue. 
And, uh, you know, it took us a second, but once we got in there, it was great. Well, um, well, let's not forget that we got there. Doors opened at 8, oh, and right. concert started at 9, and we thought we had to get there at 8.30 because uh, we were in front row, right? Yeah. Well, uh, wrong. No one shows up until 10. Yeah. So we're there at 8.30, um, and luckily there was uh, a bar, so we were able to uh, grab some waters and some and some soda. And some sodas, um, maybe maybe some beer and uh, then, here and there. Yep, for sure. And then... Uh, the concert started at nine, and our boy Muzzy. We got to we got a little Muzzy Bear from nine to nine forty five, and then Opio right before Grace, and that was the the, the, the transitions and the build up. Were I mean, phenomenal. It was incredible. And uh, let's so let's go ahead and set the stage. So you know, it's a flat. It's just literally set the stage. It's just a flat stage and standing room only. Uh, dark venue, lots of lights, and then uh, a Seth Rogen looking guy comes out and just starts bumping some beats, and you're like, who the hell is this guy? And turns out this is Muzzy Bear, and we just weren't we were, we weren't very high on him. To be no, Muzzy Bear looked like Seth Rogen. Yeah, Seth Rogen looking guy uh, who just played was, the guitar. Or actually, wasn't playing the guitar. Wasn't playing at the car in his set. Right. Um, and then they transitioned to Opio, who I can't really remember what he looked like, but he was great. He was dropping he these was wonky beats. Yeah, but very wonky. Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, but he was playing the uh, what was it the, the snare, snare the whole time the whole yeah. time. Yeah. It was like, how much snare can you play in a in a, in a set? He played in cowboy, the time. In cowboy. Opio was definitely a, a critically acclaimed cowboy, cowboy guy. Uh, but one thing to know, I guess no one really cares that we went to a Grizz concert because no one really knows who Grizz is. I mean, That's going to the, leading up to the day, we were like, yeah, we're going to this Grizz concert. It's going to be super sick. And then I'd say 95% of the people were like, uh, who's Grizz? 99. 99. Almost everyone. Uh, who's Grizz? Uh, I don't know who Grizz is. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, what, what kind of music are they? And you're like... Well, uh, he's a saxophone guy, and it's like EDM with saxophone. And they're like, oh, cool. They're like, yeah. They don't give it. They, they don't they care. There's less. no follow-up questions. Oh, there's no. It's like, oh, okay, have fun. <laughs> yeah. Here's a great transition for you. Grizz, uh, short for Grizzly Bear, uh, a new hot debate. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and transition to the hot debate, the great debate. The great so, debate. So we've had uh, plenty of great debates on this show, um, two of which. Actually, how many have we had? We have that ship versus boat. Yes. We've had uh, murder versus assassination. We had what hurts more, getting kicked, getting kicked in the balls, or giving birth. That was an obvious choice. Getting kicked in the balls. Let's make it quick known that we for, we failed to mention that no one will ever be able to um, come to a conclusion in that debate because ne- neither person can experience the other. Uh no, no, definitely getting just kicked in the balls. Okay. Worse, right. Also, okay. let's uh, let's go we, ahead. Let me clear that up. <laughs> how, about, how about this? Let's go ahead and introduce. Uh, um, our consultant, Matt Heron. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so, you know, when we have these great debates, Andrew, you have something to say? I do. Again, I think you were leading on to this, but I'm going to just steal your thunder. Sure, uh, go for it. With the great debates, we need more controversy because controversy mm-hmm. is the air we breathe. Mm-hmm. And Declan and I have tended to side with each other on these debates. And we know Matt Heron very well mm-hmm. and know for sure a very factual person who will stand by exactly where he wants and will make it known verbally, physically, mentally, the whole works. Emotionally. 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 I'm, uh, here to, I'm here to take on the trenches. Yes. Uh, absolutely. So thank you for your service, Matt. Um, so this is, um, we're actually entering a new realm of debate. Um, it's more of a nature debate, and it's something that's probably, probably will never happen, but it's worth debating. Um, so we're going to go ahead and dive into uh, the new great debate presented by the Back Pocket, uh, the grizzly bear versus a gorilla. Who wins in a fight? Now, uh, Matt, can you explain to us why you are a consultant in the animal and the uh, kingdom? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm considered around the Twin Cities as kind of a local uh, animal fighting expert. 
and um, I gained this knowledge mostly in the summer of 2012. Um, my basement, we lost the remote to our television and to our cable, and it was stuck on Animal Planet for three months. And so all we did was watch um, documentaries on Animal Planet, and so I'm pretty much an encyclopedia these days. Okay. So, okay. so you got some tremendous knowledge and pristine almost, yeah. um, facts with grizzly bears and the silverback gorilla. Yeah. So um, should, should we just get right into it? We let's set the scene for this fight. So the grizzly bear is fighting the gorilla in a complete open field. There's no trees. There's no extra external barriers. Um, this is just a field. No cliffs or anything. No cliffs. Okay. What's the what's the terrain like? What's the what's the soil composition? Um, I'm thinking. What do you got? Just I'm thinking grass. I'm no. thinking we're in New Mexico. Let's give New Mexico something to talk about. Like everyone, no everyone sees New Mexico. New no Mexico. one. New Mexico's too big to for to not be talked about. So let's say this is a gorilla versus, and we're not talking climate either. So like the gorilla and the grizzly bear are both apt for mm-hmm. the, this New Mexico plain climate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is that all we need to mention? I think so. Well, well, also, also, what are the grounds by which they're fighting? Do we have, do we have grizzly cubs around? No, no, no. This is mano y mano. Mano y mano, just for the sake of just brawling. Yeah. Okay. It's for the sake of the the debate, actually. The sake of the okay. So yeah. So, so who should who do you want going first, Andrew? Um, I I would prefer, um, Declan. Okay. Start us off because this is your content. Okay. Yeah. Well, th- it's it's our content, mm-hmm. um, but you know I would go ahead and side with uh, the gorilla bear, or not the gorilla bear. The that's gorilla. both. <laughs> uh, the gorilla, and I I say this because it is more cognitively development or developed than the grizzly bear. The grizzly bear has a smaller brain. Um, the gorilla is like kind of more like a human. It's uh, pretty badass. It's big. It probably benches near five hundred pounds. It's got uh, hands that are feet, can you imagine? Um, and then it's just kind of, it's got more testosterone than a dad with four kids in his house that are all guys. Okay. Valid points. Matthew. Um, rebuttal. Clearly. No, all right, I'll throw, no, I'll do a rebuttal. That's over here. So, you know a gorilla is not carnivorous, right? So it eats so plants? A gorilla, a gorilla only eats plants, right? Oh, so and it's a not gris- a No. So oh. a grizzly bear is, is pretty much... Um, like just a just a killing machine, and a a silverback gorilla is kind of it's kind of you know they just like they're kind of like a panda bear. They just sit they sit around mostly, and but they also have the strength of like twelve men, so that they have that going for them. And okay. They have opposable thumbs, which I enjoy thoroughly. And I, opposable thumbs, like they're on the outside. Th- they have thumbs, yeah. Like we have, like all primates. Okay. Like in a, like bear doesn't have opposable thumbs. Okay. Okay. And but. Uh, gorillas don't have claws. Gorillas don't also don't have claws. Uh, yes, interesting. So, is it going to have the killing spirit of a grizzly? I say no. So, it's, it's, is it going to have the heart? Is its heart really going to be in the fight, or is it just trying to, you know, is it just trying to to graze to to yeah to to kind of tread by? Okay, so let's say uh, this thing has a lot of tenacity. This gorilla wants to kick. Well, Kick the kick its butt. It wants to kick the kick the darn out of the kick the darn out of the grizzly. Bear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what what do you think in that case, Andrew? Um, I'm taking the grizzly bear 100. Um, percent My reasons behind it: simple size. And Matt brought up a great point. I had was going to also bring up this point that I didn't believe gorillas were meat eaters. I didn't know that for a fact, but I was just assuming because I just don't ever see them like as 
that, that type of a predator. Um, and you see grizzly bears just, you know, eating, eating, salmon, every, eating everything. You know, catching salmon out of the air all the time. I mean, yeah. te- talk about nimble. You guys just don't understand, I think, their size and their ability to um, adapt. I, I'm just assuming they're good at adapting. Um, <laughs> That's a great assumption. <laughs> <laughs> would be phenomenal. <laughs> okay. How about this? Uh, I, we've all seen The Revenant. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, It wasn't able to kill Leonardo DiCaprio. How do you think it's going to kill a gorilla bug? Um, I don't know if a gorilla could kill Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we don't have the... You can't make that, that, that claim. You don't have the evidence to make that. Um, okay. I'm going to go ahead and throw out um, pretty much all the facts that I've just stated on this because one time when I was 10 and I was at the zoo, um, one of those gorillas like at the Minnesota Zoo like smacked on the glass... And so, yeah, it would win. That scared me. <laughs> that was, that's terrifying. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, so we're throwing that. Yeah, so I'm much more terrified of. Well, let's also re, um, reaffirm our trip to the Como Zoo. Mm. And, I mean, there was a great in-house research project that the Back Pocket did without even knowledge of this great debate occurring. Um, we saw the grizzly bears. Uh, or, we saw the polar bear. You got we that saw polar bear. No, we saw the uh, gorilla. Oh, correct. Uh, several of the gorillas, and they were um, depressed. depressed. They were depressed. We, I think we gave them a hard D. Yeah, in we, there. yeah, but that but that was based strictly off the zoo. Okay, I mean, if you're you're gonna you're gonna tell me uh, to take the the barriers off that Como Zoo and let the gorillas run around, well, how do we know we're not getting a Como Zoo gr- uh, gorilla in this fight? No, we're taking her like a Harambe type. This man's gonna <laughs> this man's gonna battle for us. Like, if I'm gonna put money on a, this gorilla, like I'm confident that this is the most like. Testosterone-driven, okay. uh, as much carnivorous as you can get in this gorilla as you possibly can. Game over. Right? But, but so, real-life comparison here. Grizzly bears and some of their earlier descendants kept human beings from crossing the Bering Strait into North America for hundreds of years, while pe- but there were still people living in Africa. Strictly where, off intimidation or what? No, they were killing them. They, were, oh. they couldn't cross the Bering Strait because these, these short-nosed bears and these grizzly bears were killing them all they couldn't get into north america but there were people in africa you know living around gorillas you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Mm. so i mean that's just they were just they were just murking everyone okay like you said they are killing killing. they're literally (laughs) i think like bears are what 13 feet tall can run like 20 to 30 miles per hour gorillas probably not as fast definitely not as big um decently strong i would say um but Again, the gorilla's not running away from it. And, no. like, the grizzly bear, I don't know if he's as strong either. Yeah. So what are we thinking? Final final conclusion on this. I'm going with grizzly bear. Gorilla. Gorilla. Okay. Gorilla. How about this? Uh, and getting kicked in the nuts. So for Just side side boat. Since okay. I wasn't there for that boat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Matt. You're okay. So uh, if you would like to enjoy this debate and uh, hop in on it, and, and embrace the great debate that we've set forward here. Uh, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. In your review, uh, go ahead and say who you'd pick and why. And then also on our social media posts, whether that be uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, go ahead and give us your comment on who's going to win between the grizzly bear or the gorilla. Thank you, boys. And that's Trapping the Puck on this segment. We have a phenomenal podcast interview with John Abraham. Um, we're not going to get too much into it because he will be able to get into it in-depthly across the board. 
marketing interns lock in. We have a great interview here today. We have Dr. John Abraham, a professor of Declan's, a teacher here at the University of St. Thomas, and a leading expert in climate change. Let's welcome John Abraham. How are you doing today? Well, holy smokes, with that intro, a great interview, and it's going to be a professor. Man, you've given me a lot to live up to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Holy smokes. All right. Uh, By the way, can you tell your listeners what your breakfast is? Yes, I am currently having Pop-Tart, two (laughs) Pop-Tarts, strawberry. For breakfast, and it is eleven ten. It is eleven ten, and I asked, "Well, what? What? You, you know, why are you having breakfast so late?" And you were out last night I for was. quite a bit. Where? Where were you again? Um, Declan and I went to the Myth uh, for a concert. Yeah, Isn't that like a suburban mall? <laughs> That's what it felt like. It felt like a Best Buy. Yeah. Yeah. Who did you see at Best Buy? Um, we saw Grizz. And Do you like how I've just turned this into an interview about you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The tables have turned quickly. <laughs> See, I've got to make it interesting. Okay, that was the interesting part of the show. Now we can get down to business. <laughs> That's a great point. You know, always got to turn around. Savvy vet move on his part. Clearly, yeah. he's done interviews before. Uh, to clarify, uh, John's done. He's a uh, heat transfer guy. Big time heat transfer, teaches heat transfer, loves heat transfer, but also, you know, people call you a scientist. Do you, how much do you hate being called a scientist? Uh, physicist. Which which one's worse? Oh, being called a physicist because physicists think that they're so damn smart. Like you take a physics class, and I love my physics colleagues, but at every other university besides ours, physics professors think that they know everything, and they think they know things outside of their area. And usually, they opine about they act like an expert about things they don't know jack about, and so. The problem I've got with physicists is they're so... They're, the hubris is amazing. Now, you're going to have to look up hubris. H-U-B-R-I-S. It's not hubris. That would be like a kind of cheese. It's hubris. But I would much rather be called a scientist than a physicist. The exact definition of hubris is excessive pride or self-confidence. That's a physicist in a nutshell. That's awesome. Um, didn't, is Stephen Hawking, is he a physicist? He is. And you he, know, how is that guy came, still alive? He also just came out with, like, a crazy paper that's, like, hit, it's the first time he's published online, and it's been the most read journal of all time. So how do you feel about that? The fact that you know that puts you at the upper one-tenth of one percent of all nerds that I know. Uh, that's amazing. I, I heard he had just published something, but what's amazing about that dude is he has ALS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the ice bucket challenge thing. Mm-hmm. And he's still alive, like... How does that happen? How does someone beat ALS? Well, I mean, he's not beating it, but I think they're... It's the, the Stephen Hawking and ALS are at a draw right now. It's a stalemate. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, so. But, you know, he ran off with his secretary, or his nurse. No he way. was married, and then I guess he had an affair with his nurse or his personal attendant. You're <laughs> going to Google that right now. The, your <laughs> listeners are Googling this right now. How does a guy with ALS run off with a nurse? I don't get that, but you know, there's a lot of things in this world I don't get. Yeah, and that's and that's why we have you on. No, uh, it's for amazing. Climate change because yep. we just don't get it. Um, well, first of all, um, you're are now what 28th guest, Andrew? Yes, that is correct. 28th guest on the show, so welcome. Um, and for all of our guests, we ask. Um, so we're average guys, and you know we pride ourselves on being wildly average. Um, so what is your wildly or wildly average quality? Now, let me tell your listeners something. I think your next guest is going to be on camera. Correct. Is that right? Okay. Yes. Are you guys going to be on camera? Uh, allegedly. allegedly. Okay, I hope so, because you are not average. You two are good looking. 
And I want the ladies to know out there that these are not average guys. These are pretty good-looking guys. They're smart. They know what hubris means. Mm-hmm. They know that Stephen Hawking just published something. Total nerds. Their apartment is amazing. Uh, it is so clean. I actually want to eat lunch in the bathroom. It's Oof. so clean in here. So there's nothing average about you guys. But I'm average. Um, I would say an average quality that I have is time management. Now, let me explain why I'm average at it. I tend to be very good at it and very bad, and that's like hot and cold. It's like uh, it's like a Katy Perry song, actually. Katy Perry's coming to concert in December. I want to go. I don't have tickets. But she's hot and cold. You mix hot and cold together, you get just lukewarm. And I'm lukewarm at time management because sometimes I'm really good, and when I'm really good, I put everything else aside and I'm able to focus on what I need to focus on. And that extraneous crap doesn't even knock me off kilter. I don't even know what kilter means. It sounds like a skirt that a Scottish guy would wear. A kilt. But, a kilt. All right. Uh, but So that's when I'm good at it. But when I'm bad at it, I take on too many things. And then my attention drifts from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and I can't really get anything done. So I'm either really on or I'm really off. You know, another thing I'm average at is chess. I've been, sometimes I'm so good in chess, I'm like, man, am I good? And then sometimes I just suck. Mm-hmm. And usually it's after a couple beers. Okay. Fun fact, Declan and I both did chess club. And get and out! Oh, we should play some chess. That would be fun. One hell of a podcast, would you say? If we that would be... Us playing chess? Yeah, we have to do video. Oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> That'd be bad. That Could you imagine if we did audio? <laughs> Knight to G4. That would be terrible. <laughs> well, you know who your real audience is. Wow, it'd mm-hmm. be small. That's awesome. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be bananas. <clears throat> um, so you're a climate change guru, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Um, how, people... did you, how did you get to this point? What was the path like? So I'm a professor of heat, and actually it's a professor of thermal sciences, so anything with heat or fluid flow. So it can be, you know, the heat in your house, the heat in your body, the heat in your uh, computer, when you put your computer on your lap, it gets warm, it could be the heat from the sun, anything with heat. And fluid flow means air, liquids, you know, water, so I deal with blood flow in the human body, I deal with... um, uh, atmosphere is an air. Atmosphere is made of air. I deal with ocean waters, flow and pipes. So those two topics go together, and that's my area of expertise. And so I was a res- I was researching uh, mainly in the biomedical fields. I designed medical devices, and, but I knew a lot about a topic called thermodynamics, and as I mentioned, heat transfer. And I I've always been interested in climate change. I've understood the issues of climate change, but I never was an expert at it. And I would get asked to give talks around the state, and so I'd go give talks about climate change, and I figured, you know, if I'm really giving talks to people, I should start doing real published research on it. So I started doing published research on it. My first project was a project with NOAA. Now, NOAA, N-O-A-A, it's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It's like NASA for the oceans. Mm. And they have a device that they use to measure ocean temperatures. It's a little torpedo that they put in the water. And they didn't know the drag, the fluid drag on these torpedoes. So if you're driving down the road and you put your hand out the window, you feel force on your hand. That's called drag. Oh, that was my phone. I wonder if that will get picked up by your mic. 
Um, and they didn't know the drag with high accuracy on these devices. And I said, well, shoot, that's a fluid mechanics problem. So I tackled that problem in around 2009 and published a paper. I published actually four papers in a bunch of journals and started to give uh, conference presentations on it. And then that got me into the field of climate change, and I started to work with other researchers. And now I do about uh, three or four journal papers a year on climate science. Gotcha. Wow. That's awesome. Um, Andrew, I don't have the question list. <laughs> do you want it? Yeah, I can text it to you. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, I have 1%, so I'm trying to... What's up with the iPad? iPad's dead, too. I'm, all, I'm dead in every category. So you... Uh... Here, you can have my phone. Okay. No, I, we're we're racing here. We're racing. You know, in the old days, we used to like have to print stuff out, and uh, we have a dead GoPro. We have yeah, a dead iPad. We have a dead now you guys look. If you guys don't have juice, you're like out of. See, there's these things called pens, and there were mechanical pencils. Mm-hmm. Were so new when I was young. You could click them, and the pencil lead would come out, and you could write on this thing called paper. Yeah, it's bananas. See, I'm in your class now, and I don't even do that anymore. No, you don't. I'm right on my iPad. You'd actually just sit there, and, and I'm like, is he even paying attention? And then I look at your iPad notes, and they're impeccable. Thanks. Are you going to sell those? You should. I could if I wanted to. Sell them to me. Them. Okay. Dude. Oh, I would love to have my so, own notes. So what's what's really nice is uh, this podcast prides themselves on verbal handshakes, um, which is exactly what we're doing right now. So we can go ahead and verbally agree, verbally right. handshake on. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll send you my notes after. Yeah, I, cool. I guess I should do that for every class I've taken because I have like thermodynamics. I got heat transfer. I got materials. I got you, at the U of M, we, we used to have students that would go in and take notes and then sell them at a at a note sales store. You could do that. Yeah. Huh? For kids that aren't miss a class or kids that don't want to show up. Interesting. Yeah. So for, the la- just, for the lazy kids, take yeah, advantage. That's right. Yeah, you become really efficient on that yeah. iPad. I mean, it takes. A lot of practice for taking notes on iPads. I feel I, I could. I have to. I don't have the patience for it. I have to write everything down. Yeah, pen and paper. I just realized if I could write it down like I do on paper and then do it on the iPad, it would just be yeah, it's effective it's, and like ten times more efficient mm-hmm. than it has been. <laughs> so, anyways, moving on. So, how did you find a passion for heat transfer? Like when you were uh, a sappy young guy at eighteen. Oh, yeah. Um, how did it, how did you get turned on to engineering? Because I know that that would probably be the start. Yeah, um, yeah. How, how did you not become a business major? Is actually my question. Uh, I've always un- liked science. I want to know how the world works. So if you look out at the world, how do things grow? How do things move? How do how do I explain the natural world? I love to know how things work, and I think that's the fundamental building block for intellectual curiosity is the building block, the foundation upon which a scientist is built. So I want to know how things work. I couldn't care less. I mean, making a living is subsidiary to that. I think that if you're really good at what you do, people are going to pay you for it. So I, I worried about payment later. I wanted to go into math or physics when I was younger. And my high school advisor said, well, you should go into engineering because there's jobs. (laughs) <laughs> and so I thought about that, and I, I actually, in college, I was in physics, and I was I was actually top in my class out of 150 students, and the physics professor brought me into his office, and he said, he gave me a present for being the top student, and the present was the Feynman Lecture Series, F-E-Y, Fein, N, M-A-N, Richard Feynman Lecture Series, and 
he said, uh, you know, you're the best physics student this semester, but you should think about going into engineering because you can get a job. And so now I had two people that I respected tell me that, and I, I did. I went into engineering. And so I'm sitting there learning engineering, and it's a lot of physics and a lot of math. But then you get into your upper-level courses, and I don't know why, but I just fell in love with this heat transfer course. I think it was a professor. And so my professor was Professor Sparrow, who we call the father of modern-day heat transfer. And so I took his course, and then I took every other course offered by him and ended up getting a Ph.D. with him as my advisor. Now, so I fell in love with that course. And I'm a mechanical engineer, but I can't build anything. I can't do mechanic. I can't. I can't fix my own car. But I shoot. I can do heat transfer. So it's this real passion about a specific topic. Yeah. And uh, not to brag, uh, you also have a. Don't you have an equation or a number named after you and Sparrow? The Sparrow Abraham. Uh, we have an equation. Yeah, that's right. We have a new equation that's now in textbooks. Uh, so I'm in textbooks, and you know the paper that you're doing your homework assignment on. That you're going to do your homework assignment for next week, that's now going to go into textbooks too. So I have three things in textbooks. The correction to that weird error, uh-huh. the German, there's a German translation to an error, uh, translation error that I caught in 19, it was in 1954 and I caught it in 2004. Corrected that translation. I'm getting really boring. I'm in textbooks in three ways. And so that's my. What's good is you have an engineer and you have a guy who doesn't do engineering. What so do you do? I'm a business major, management and communications. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're the sort of the creative side of business. You're not like the accountant Correct. side. Yeah, all yep. right. Um, it's, it's a good balance is what I'm saying. Yeah. You're t- you're Absolutely. Speaking. I understand. What you're, I'm following exactly what you're saying because yeah. you talk about this all the time. Close, yeah. but. <laughs> He's in textbooks. How He's in textbooks. Yeah. Well, so it's sort of cool. So, yeah. So do you show your kids like, hey, kid, like they couldn't care less. You could be like, hey, check us, check me out. There's my name in this really big textbook. You don't care. No, about. they don't care. It's they couldn't crime. care less. I, when I'm on the radio or TV, I say, hey, kids, I'm going to be on the radio tonight at six fifteen. I don't care, Dad. I'm going to be on TV tomorrow, and my kids don't care. Uh, my WCCO, right? WCCO TV, and it's going to be on the evening. It's going to be sort of a big spot, and one daughter wants to go only because they give candy. I mean, are you kidding me? So that's what happens when you're a dad. Maybe they're fans of podcasts. Maybe they would listen. Yeah, do you think they, they would listen probably to listen to this just to hear about you guys. We have a cool intro song. I think that would maybe uh, grab, like, grab them right there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I should do? I should offer extra credit to students who could give me names of cool bands that I could take home and impress my kids. And so that, that was one thing I was going to say is I, I feel like you're a big follower of like big names that have kind of gone and come. So, like, imagine Dragons, they've, like, gone, and then they're, like, still kind of around. Katy Perry, like, not as much people care about them anymore. Yeah. So, like, now we got to start turning on a new band. Grizz. Yeah, I like it. And I'm going to turn you guys onto a band. You ready for this? Best band in the world. You ready? Yes. Poi Dog Pondering. Poi is P-O-I Dog Pondering. They are a band out of Chicago. Awesome. They are a band that have changed styles. It's a big band. They do everything from rock to electronic dance music to folk. You mm-hmm. will freaking love them. Poi Dog Pondering. Nice. Breaking news on the podcast. Seen them seven stuff. times. I've all, I also like Bob Dylan, but yeah. <laughs> Good guy. Yeah, great guy. Nobel. Yeah. No, no. What, yeah, what? he won. Nobel? Yeah, Nobel, Nobel Prize, Prize for literature, I think. Nice. Nice. Um, so getting back to climate change, uh, we just have a climate change for dummies question. Yeah. Um, so... If global warming is real, then uh, why is it cold outside? Yeah, man, I'm looking outside and it's snowing. Now, granted, it's Minnesota and it's almost November. But um, people often confuse weather with climate. 
So we're sitting here October 27th, my birthday. I'm 44 today. Mm. And I cannot tell you if it's going to be warmer or colder in a week from now than it is today. That's because weather fluctuates. But what I can tell you is January 1 is going to be colder than July 1. That's climate. Climate is long-term changes. Weather is short-term fluctuations. And you can have changes. You can have cold and warm in a warming climate. But what we want to look at is the long-term trends. And what we're seeing is it's... Over the years, it's getting warmer and warmer and warmer, and that's climate change. Now, this year, 2017, is going to be maybe the third hottest year on record. Last year was the hottest year on record. I can't tell you, by the way, the last three hottest years on record ever recorded are the last three years, 2014, 15, and 16. Now... 2017 is going to be a little bit cooler. And people say, well, look, global warming ended, you know, because this year is going to be a little bit cooler than last year. But no, no, no. What we want to do is look at the long-term trend. And the long-term trend is so strongly telling us that climate change is real that scientists don't doubt it anymore. So you can have cold days and warm days. With climate change, you're going to have more warm days and fewer cold days over time. So you're saying it's going to be bad for skiing? It's terrible for skiing. How was skiing last year? It was great. It's probably one of the best years. That's really? That's in Minnesota? No, I'm, in, uh, I'm from Colorado. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you were in Minnesota, skiing was a disaster. Well, it's always uh, a disaster. Yeah. Well, no. they just didn't have much snow. In general. Not, not yeah. just the hills aren't great, but they didn't have much snow. Yeah, yet. it was warm. Yeah. The last two years have been warm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I, was, I had a question, because it was like, if, you, if you're going to have more intense storms... Uh, because the polar ice caps are melting, mm-hmm. which you can get into this. I don't yeah. want to steal your, your, steal your thunder, but you're going to have harder, more intense storms. Dude, pun. Storms, what a right? great pun. Steal your thunder, more intense storms. I love it. Did you plan that? No. no I'm, like, I'm the best accidental pun guy. Woo! So. <laughs> accidental <laughs> pun guy. APG, man. All right. <laughs> but anyway, so like, if you're going to have intense storms, more intense storms, I'm thinking more intense, intense snowstorms yeah. or blizzards, better, better skiing. Yeah, but here's the deal. With climate change, think of it as weather on steroids. Think co- things come more intensely and stay longer. So th- what, are, what are the things we're talking about? Rainfall, snow, drought, heat waves. Things are going to happen. The weather always swings back and forth, but the swings are going to be greater, bigger swings. And so, yeah, you will have more intense snow and rain, but then you'll have longer droughts between them, and you'll have more heat between them. Mm. So you will get bigger, we expect to get bigger, heavy rainfalls, and we expect to get bigger, heavy snowstorms, but it'll also be warmer. In Minnesota, we've had four 1,000-year floods in the last decade. And can you explain what a 1,000-year flood was? Yeah, it's a flood that you would not expect to get for a 1,000 years. And we've had four of them. Four of them in, in the last decade. Wow. Now, think about Duluth. Remember, did you remember it rained so hard in Duluth a few years ago? It rained so hard in Duluth. You can Google the Duluth flood. It rained so hard that the zoo got flooded and some of the zoo animals got out into the streets. Do you guys have have, um, images with your uh, podcast? We try to do will be breaking the six. Duluth flood, man. There's going to be like a seal on the street in downtown Duluth. Are you looking at it? Duluth flood. Look at images. There's a flood warning currently. (laughs) No, 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 no. Look at the big Duluth flood. Duluth flood, 2012. 
it cost uh, like $190 million to the U.S. People were kayaking down, yeah, oh yeah, kayaking down the streets in Duluth. And wow. I guess like the seal and a, a polar bear got, yeah, Duluth. Oh my and so we're going to see more of that stuff. And and that stuff there's is... The seal. There's the seal. <laughs> we're not, po- it's our new bad podcasting segment where we uh, boom. just go ahead and talk about stuff that no one can see. I love it. I, you know, I, let me tell you, it's a, it's a sad looking seal. Mm-hmm. It's half on the grass, half on a sidewalk. Now, what, where is that seal going to go? So um, what, what climate change does is it makes, the hev- it makes the more intense weather more intense. We think of it as weather on steroids. Okay. And then so, um, like, what's, our, what's the solution? What's, what's causing this? How are we going to turn this around? Yeah, sure. Good question. So, first of all, I'm going to say something that's going to surprise people. The Earth has a greenhouse effect, and I'm glad we have a greenhouse effect, because if there was no greenhouse effect, we wouldn't be alive. There are certain gases in the atmosphere that trap sunlight, and those gases are water vapor, carbon dioxide, methane, etc. And if, if we had none of those gases in the atmosphere, the Earth would be about minus, it would be about zero degrees Fahrenheit. So we wouldn't exist, life wouldn't exist. But we've got these greenhouse gases which make the Earth habitable. That's a good thing. But what humans are doing is we're adding to that natural greenhouse effect. We've added, humans are responsible for about 40% of all the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere right now. The carbon dioxide is the most important human-emitted greenhouse gas. So think of it like you feel really good in bed with two blankets on. But what happens if you add a third blanket or a fourth blanket? Well, you, you, you get hot. You get a little warm. You get a little warm. So what humans are doing is we are adding greenhouse gases to the atmosphere, and that's causing more sunlight to be trapped, more what's called infrared energy to be exact, and it's warming the planet. And do you know when the science behind greenhouse gases was developed? No. I do not. We 18, do our research not that much. 1800s. Oh. The first paper on it was 1824. Jean-Joseph Fourier, F-O-U-R-I-E-R. You're going to Google that, I'm sure. Um, I think 1824. It might have been 1827. The first paper that predicted t- Earth temperature changes with the greenhouse effect was 1896. Guy, a dude named Svante Arrhenius, S-V-A-N-T-E. I'm not even going to spell Arrhenius, but... He's a Swedish dude. So anyways, this is old stuff. We've known this for a long time. Uh, And we know that humans are adding greenhouse gases, and humans are responsible for the warming. 100% of the warming since 1950 is human-caused. Okay. So we are big two-roses-and-a-thorn guys here. Yeah. Um, And we're kind of curious on what your thoughts are for two-roses-and-a-thorn of just climate change in general, or maybe... The study of it. Yeah, I was thinking more of the path of the study. convincing... Dingoes like us that it's real. Yeah, sure. Um, it isn't two roses, two roses in a thorn, like two good things and one bad thing. Or Correct. Yeah. Okay. So you want? I can give you two good things. First of all, climate change isn't all bad. A lot of people think it's doom and gloom. The Earth is not going to become uninhabitable, um, but what it's going to mean is it's going to disrupt civilization and society. I mean, think of it this way: we have built our infrastructure based on current climate. What happens if that climate changes? Let's think about Miami. 
Miami is a city that's built on sea levels that were consistent with about 1950. Sea levels have risen about eight inches, and they're going to rise about three feet by the year 2100. Now, that's going to flood Miami. Miami is now flooding with high tides. Parts of Miami are flooding now. Okay, so what do you do if Miami's going to, if you're going to add three feet to that and Miami's going to flood, what do you do? Well, you can't build a wall around Miami because the base rock is porous. The water will just come up from the bottom. So you have a city like Miami, which is, it's really doomed, okay? It's built on current sea level, and it's not going to survive the future. You have uh, Norfolk, Virginia, that... The, the Navy has one of their biggest naval yards that they are going to have to move. You have Bangladesh, where 20 million people live within a meter of sea level rise. So 20 million people are going to have to move by the year 2100. We in the U.S. had trouble relocating people after Hurricane Katrina. What do you do if you're Bangladesh? 20 million. 20 million people. Yeah, Around the world, 150 million people are going to have to move by 2100 because of sea level rise. Okay, so... And they're going to have to move inland and technically out, too. Yeah, so, that's right. That's right. Where things are less civilized, where, you know, we're like a place like, think, yeah. like Tokyo or something, where people are crammed in there already. Yeah, and do you want... If you're in Bangladesh, do you want 20 million people to move into your neighborhood? I mean, so these are going to cause social strikes, and the, the, the Department of Defense in the U.S. views climate change as one of the biggest risks, security risks to our country. They're really concerned about it because of the social strife. Think of climate change played a role in the Syrian civil war because of the huge drought in Syria, which caused economic strife. So, so climate change affects things in, because the world is interconnected. But that doesn't mean everywhere is going to suffer. Some places are going to do better off. Russia, Russia Canada. And if you're looking at the U.S., Minnesota is one of the best states to live in. We're not going to suffer from sea level rise. Our weather is going to become milder. We'll have a longer growing season. We'll have more invasive plants to deal with, and we'll have changes to the kind of plants and animals that we have. But, but Minnesota is not going to suffer like Florida is. So in this terms of two ro- roses and a thorn, we have some areas that, are, that may even benefit and other areas that will suffer disproportionately. And, and that's the weird thing about climate change because it's not it's not equal around the world. And so I'd say the two roses would be Russia and Minnesota. And the and the, and the thorn is polar bears in Miami. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's two thorns. Yeah, polar well, bears in true. Miami. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, friend of the program, Austin Lorch. Um, you know, we we like to give him a lot of flack on this show. It's um, good to give friends slack. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, build, builds trust. Yeah. Um, so he's a climate change denier, and he, you know, he just thinks it's fake. And, you know, he's been slandered for it and still is very strong yeah. about his will. Um, so what would you say to Lorch and people like Lorch? Sure, sure. Well, uh, and just so your listeners know, when, when we use the word climate change denier, and I like to not, I don't like to use the word climate change denier, I like to use the word contrarian, but uh, a climate change denier means someone who denies human-caused climate change. I don't think anyone denies the climate changes. 
And a lot of people will say, well, the climate change is naturally. I'm not denying climate change. And I just want to acknowledge that we're not saying... When we use the, when we're using the term in this context, climate change denier, someone who says humans are not having influence. Here's what I would say: the data is so strong, the the science that connects humans to climate change is stronger than the science that connects HIV to AIDS. I mean, it is so strong. In fact, if you look at scientists around the world, ninety-seven percent of scientists who work on climate change say that humans are a major, the major cause of current climate change, okay? There's no doubting the science. And in fact, I measure world temperatures. The measurements are going up. There's no doubt about that. But when people deny climate change, there's something underneath that that's motivating their denial. And it's usually a dislike of either the messenger or the message, Oftentimes people think, well, climate change is this liberal scam, you know, to to tax me more or to have government take over. And so if you you ask yourself, well, what's the emotional reason that why people deny human influence of climate change? It's one of those things. And you there's no graph that you can show a person. Who is emotionally vested on that other side that will convince them. But what you can do is you can approach the topic in a way that is not threatening. So, for example, many people um, are surprised to know that groups of faith are very focused on climate change. I mean, think of the Pope. The Pope came out with a major encyclical last year about climate change. The Catholic Church is all over this issue. There's a group of evangelicals um, who are trying to get evangelicals to take climate change more seriously. Now, why? Because they view Earth as God's gift. And if that's your view of the world, who who would throw away a gift? Um, for people who don't like the idea of government intervention, what I would point out is come up with market-based solutions. There are ways to solve this problem that don't involve big government. I'll give you a great example. The Tax and dividend. Now, the tax and dividend is an idea that taxes the dumb and pays the smart. Let me explain how this... Who would be against that? If you're going to make dumb choices, you're going to pay for it. And if you're smart, you're going to get money. Here's how a tax and dividend idea would work. Carbon is taxed. But the tax goes into a pool and every U.S. citizen gets a check at the beginning of the year. You get a check for your share of the tax. And then over the year, you get to make decisions. If you make decisions that involve less carbon, you will end up paying less than your dividend check. If you make dumb choices, you'll end up paying more. So in this way, you actually earn money by making smart choices. It's totally revenue neutral. There's no government involved. It's you pay into a pot and then you get, you, you pay into a pot and then you, you, you spend based on your choices. So that's an option where there's no big government involved. Um, And so sometimes people who are on, and and typically conservatives, politically conservative people are more anti-climate change. And typically more liberal, politically minded people are more pro the science of climate change. Now, I say typically because it's not always the case, but it's typical. And 
conservative-minded people are often against the science of climate change, in my view, because they don't like solutions, especially big government or taxation solutions. So you approach things in a way where it isn't just a big government tax that solves it. Another message that's really compelling is cost. Right now, it's 2017, solar power and wind power can compete with coal. So we're sitting here in Minnesota. Would I rather pay for a train of coal from West Virginia to be brought up here to burn in a power plant, or would I rather pay a farmer in southern Minnesota for electrons coming out of a wind turbine? I'd rather pay a farmer in Minnesota. It's the same cost. So when you, we are now at a point where clean energy costs the same as coal. So why would anyone not want the clean energy alternative? And by the way, the costs are still going down. So why would you invest in, let's say, a, a new coal plant when in five years it's actually going to be more expensive than wind and solar? So people who are real fiscal conservatives don't, because the economics has shifted so much, they're, they are losing reasons to be against energy. And in fact, many fiscal conservatives are now saying, look, I'm going to actually invest in this and make money. So, so for people like Austin, who's a great guy, and other people who are skeptical about the science of climate change, I'd approach it, I approach it from ways where we can all agree. We can all agree saving money is a good thing. We can all agree paying a farmer in southern Minnesota is a good thing. We can all agree that taking care of our lakes and, and air and our fisheries and, and our, you know, our, our forests here. Yeah, I mean, think about all the hunters and fishermen, fisher people. There are fisher, fishermen out there. No one wants to mess up Minnesota. No one wants to mess up the U.S. Let's find ways that we can all agree on. Everyone wins to solve the problems. And those ways exist today. That's awesome. So you, going off the, the climate change denier per se, um, doing our research here at the back pocket, we've come to know that uh, you ended up getting sued by a climate change denier. I don't know if you want to... Almost got sued. Almost got sued. Yeah. Allegedly. By yeah. Christopher Monkton, who's... Yeah, he New promised... Yeah, he, he promised to sue me. He promised to sue the University of St. Thomas. He never did. I was waiting for that letter from the lawyer. But yeah, I was um, threatened with a lawsuit. There's a guy named Christopher Monkton out of the UK, and he gave a talk at a university nearby called Bethel. It's Bethel Week. Bethel Week. Yeah, we're playing Bethel. Perfect. Well, we're going to... Sorry, Bethel. I think we're going to beat you. But um, but good luck anyways. Uh, he gave a talk at Bethel, and I should say, for the record, Bethel didn't endorse it. What happened was a group rented a Bethel venue. So it's not like Bethel brought him in. But um, he gave a talk, and it was... You know, people with British accents are so trustworthy, right? You hear someone with a British accent, you think, gosh, they're smart. And he had all these graphs up, and he was showing all these papers which showed climate change wasn't happening. I was sitting there, I think 2007, I'm like, what, am I believing a lie? So what I, I did this crazy thing. I got his slideshow, and I read the papers he cited. And I was like, wait, these don't say anything of what he's saying. And... So I, just to be sure, I wrote to the authors of the papers, and I said, Christopher Moncton says your study is saying this. I think it's saying this. Who's right? And 16 out of 16 people wrote back, and they said, you're right. He's wrong. And 
so I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, shoot, I'm going to do a little counter presentation. Mm. And I did it in my office. I didn't think it would be a big deal. And I showed the emails from all these scientists saying that he didn't know what he was talking about. And the Associated Press picked it up. And the Guardian in the UK picked it up. And then he found out. And so he wrote a long letter and he threatened me with a lawsuit and threatened the University of St. Thomas with a lawsuit. Came after a friend of the program, Father Deese. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he did. He was on a show called The Alex Jones Show, which is um, sort of a, it is a radical conspiracy theory show. And he gave out Deese's, Father Deese's email address and tried to get me fired. and, And I ended up getting famous. And my kids still don't care about it. <laughs> so did you, so you got a lot of a lot of press, and you were probably on TV a lot because of that. Or? Yeah, yeah, I got a lot of press, um, and and that's really what that was near the time when I decided to get into the research of climate change. You know, if if I'm going out and giving TV interviews and radio sh- interviews, I should be publishing in the area. So what's it like being famous? Oh man, uh, when. I, the definition of famous, I think, is when you go to a store and someone knows you. And that hasn't happened. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Allegedly. I'll, I'll right. let you know. Okay. Yeah. We recognized you. Well, you came in your home. It's John. Well, that's true. Maybe I'm like halfway there. Glass <laughs> <So. laughs> yeah. half full now. Yeah, right, right. Well, actually, a glass, glass is all the way full. It's just half full with water, half full with air. Mm. So. Good point. Scientist. Yeah. Nerd. Well, since you've been on TV and we're planning on starting our own little broadcasting, you've kind of hinted towards some tips, but do you have any cold, hard tips that we can really lock into and when we broadcast live on YouTube? Absolutely. Um, And these tips are not for you. They're for people on. um, Think about your audience. The most important thing that you can do when you're on TV is not think, or radio, is what does your audience want to know? What's their perspective and how do I reach them? Don't talk... To yourself, a lot of times we communicate in ways that we understand, and we need to communicate in ways that our audience will find compelling. And so, doing that's key. And then, if you're a scientist out there, keep your answers short and don't use scientific jargon because no one knows your jargon. So, mm-hmm. those are my nice. How about like the actual presentation? So, like you're looking at camera one or camera three, and you gotta you know, lock in, like, can't be talking with your hands everywhere, you gotta be standing upright, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, so, um, what I would say is this, every, um, time you're on is a bit different, a radio's, radio's one thing, the thing about radio is, I mean, obviously your voice matters more, and cadence matters a lot, and so whenever I do a radio show, like when I'm on NPR, I always go into the studio, because I'm on the Carrie Miller and Paul Hutner show quite a bit. And when you're in the studio, you look at someone and you can know when to, when you're going to turn the conversation over to them, just with visual contact. I don't like to do telephone radio interviews because you don't have that personal interaction when you're there in the studio. Uh, the other thing about doing radio is silence is okay. You can pause. I'm pausing right now. People are listening. You don't need to fill every every second with a sound. And if you realize that, that silence is okay, then the ums and the ahs go away. Mm-hmm. So those are the things about radio. Uh, but again, with radio, you, you know who your audience is and try to give your your audio into short, short 
sound bites with the right cadence. When you're on TV, always ask, what part of me is the camera showing? Usually the camera shows uh, from chest up. And if it's just chest up, and if you're a, someone who talks with your hands, then you have to keep your hands in the box. And so for your audience, I'm, I've got a box with my hands in front of my eyes. It's about six inches by six inches. You have to keep your hands right near your face. If you put your hands, if your hands are moving all over the place in and out of screen, you look like an idiot. So, Oh, and the other thing is if you're bald or have a shaved head, don't cut your head while you're shaving. Mm. Uh, I did that, and so now I'm going to be on TV with a scab on my head, which nice. is never appealing. That's good. That's good for, for radio, at least. Yep. It's good, good for, for podcasts. Good, great for podcasting. Well, Absolutely. Two, two things going off that. So we did one phone interview for um, one of the podcasts, and it was with um, an NFL tight end who was in Nashville, so obviously we can't mm-hmm. yep. connect with him. So we had to do it over the phone, and that was our first one that we had to do. Very difficult. We phone struck, lag. Phone lag. We struggled with when we were supposed to ask the next question, when mm-hmm. he was going to end his next yeah. thought. And uh, there was a lot of like, oh, oh, oh mm-hmm. and that was a struggle. Um, Father Deese, when we interviewed him, we originally thought, because he, he talks a little slower and has those pauses. And we were like, all right, I'm going to edit all those pauses out and make it sound way better. Mm-hmm. I listened to the whole thing before I edited it, and I'm like, that sounds fantastic, the way he delivers it. You're locked in because there's not many pauses in a podcast. So when you hear that pause, you your attention Refocus. refocuses in on the audio instead of your your thoughts drifting off into what he had just said. So that pause lets you regain your Do you thought. know what that's called? I the pregnant pause. Okay. Mm. You didn't think I'd get the word pregnant into this podcast. The <laughs> pregnant pause. Yeah, uh, pause is, you're exactly right, A an option. It's it's the time when your listener says, ooh, where, what are they going to say next? Yeah. So we should we try it out? That's Brilliant! Nailed oh man! The other thing is, if you ever do a phone interview with two guests, that's really hard because they talk over each other. Mm-hmm. So, got to control that. Wait, 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 maybe we should try that. Yeah, give it a give it a gander. <laughs> give it a gander. Why not? Um, so, kind of focusing more back on you. Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot about climate change, but not enough about you. So, you do a lot of research, and you're a professor, and those are two clearly one both your passions. Um, there might be others, your kids and your wife and stuff like that. But, um, you know, what, what is uh, more of a passion for you, being a professor or doing research? Well, being a professor is actually both. I mean, you think about being a professor is the best job in the world, first of all. Because I get to... So, I, your listeners don't know this. I was late today because I was so excited doing a research project in my office that I totally forgot about this podcast and the research project I was doing was cardiac ablation. I was ablating, burning heart tissue to stop what's called arrhythmia. I mean, that's pretty freaking exciting. So as a professor, I walk in and I say, what problems do I want to work on today? Now, who in their right mind gets to go to a job where they get to create their own problems? What do I want to work on? That's why being a professor is awesome. But it also comes with a great responsibility to society. Professors not only teach the next generation, but we are responsible for creating knowledge. Who has time in their life to work on a cardiac ablation problem just because it's interesting? And so I think professors are obligated to society to do things and solve problems that help society. 
so being a professor is great, but it has these obligations, and they are they they manifest themselves as teaching and research. So a professor's job is, in my mind, is teaching and research. You have to do both. You can't do one or the other. And so the question, I think, is which do I like more, teaching or research? And naturally, I'm a teacher. Uh, I mean, naturally, I'm a researcher. I love it. I could do it all day long. Um, But there's something about teaching. There's something about getting students to understand a physical process very deeply. I mean, it's I, I don't like mathematical, I'm not talking about mathematical description, like, oh, how fast is a plane going to need to go to take off for gravity? I don't mean any of that crap. I mean, understand physical phenomena so they can feel what, it's, what, what the natural world is telling us. And when students get that, I mean, so you're in my fluid flow class and we talk about boundary layers and these particles oh. rubbing against each other. And they, how do they transfer that? For, when students get that and they intuit how the world works, that's really rewarding. One thing I should say is uh, we do a What Did We Learn segment as the last segment on our show. And what we do, What Did We Learn in a Feel Good Story? And most of my What Am I Learns are from Heat Transfer. Andrew can attest to it because he has no idea what's going on. Mm. And what did I talk about uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, laminar and turbulent flow, Andrew? Um, the... Uh, <laughs> laminar and turbulent flow. Laminar and turbulent flow is actually, that's what you talked about. Do you know what it is? Uh, you can you can elaborate on it. <laughs> no, we don't have to. Okay. I wondered if you picked it up. If I was going to teach you, yeah. I probably yeah. wasn't. I just was. I was thinking about my segment and what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like but, we do that stuff all the time. Where it, like we actually physically like what you're saying of like kids actually being able to understand a phenomenon and then apply it to life. Mm-hmm. Me and all our nerd engineering friends, we will just like talk about the dumbest things, but it's all heat transfer or something, or all materials or something. Like, what's this chair made of? Why mm-hmm. do they make it like that? Or why is this room so cold? Well, we got windows open. We got convective air outside that's causing us, this podcast room, to lose heat to the outside. I'm about ready to hug you. You just <laughs> used the word convection, and I love that topic. I mean, but that's right. I mean, when you when a student gets excited, when a student has intellectual curiosity, that that's so energizing. So, so I think naturally I'm a researcher, but I get a, that extra jolt of energy when I can get into a classroom and students get that. And I think the best thing is when research and teaching couple to each other. Yeah. And there's nothing better than that. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you found that St. Thomas students have been pretty good with um, like a consistency of classes that, that their students committed to what exactly what you're saying? Or has there been times where like, it's like, talking to drywall. No, I, I'm really impressed with St. Thomas students. I mean, look, the students are serious. They're overworked, I think. They're way too busy, but they work hard when they, when they work. You know, it's sort of a work hard, play hard kind of mm-hmm. situation. And the vast majority of St. Thomas students are very considerate. They work hard. Um, and I, I never feel like a class is mailing it in. And in fact, if a class is mailing it in, I, I, I screwed up. And I want to make it exciting enough that they... I actually don't have an attendance policy in my class. You know, it, it, we're, we're over 18 here. If you want less for your money, if you want to pay 4000 for a class and not show up, go ahead. But I my goal is to make class so interesting that the students will want to show up. Okay. And And for the most part, that 
seems to be the case. But but the class is interesting because the class is interesting too. I mean, if it's just the prof up there talking, that that gets pretty dry. So I, I'm fortunate that my students interact. Uh, they do interact, and they do interact on um, websites where they rate you. Um, so there are things right right my professor where students will go on and give you give um, their thought process on how the semester went and their recommendations to chili their audience. And all kinds of good stuff. So. Yeah, chili peppers are the, that's gold. And if I'm in a contest with another with an adjunct professor, Brian Plurt, we're trying to get the most chili peppers. And since he's like 30 and I'm 44, I'm in trouble. Well, first of all, I had one question about you being 44. So yeah, first of all, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy really? birthday. Um, so um, does does life get better with age? Life gets better with age. Everything gets better with age. Uh, not everything, but okay. life gets better. Every year has been better than the prior year. Mm. Um, I will say this. you, I feel, you know, when you're young, you have so much energy. And you don't, I don't have that as much anymore, but I have a heck of a lot more wisdom and more money. Okay. So um, the other thing is, I'm a dad of four daughters. Oof. And well, we've, so, oh, nothing. podcasting, a little tattoo with all Molly, Olivia. Mo- Lilith, Lilith, Avery, and Neve. Molly's my wife, and I've got my four daughters. I'm showing a tattoo on my leg. And that is, there's nothing better and nothing more tiring than being a parent. Okay. No, okay. So we have had a, a, a guest on our show, Declan's co-worker from the summer, um, that is the father of three daughters. And we interviewed him, and we, uh, we asked him if his T-levels were low. So are your T-levels low? So we like, what are T-levels? testosterone levels oh you know um i don't think so i mean it's just a lot of girls in the house there are a lot of i would say this dude time what's that gotta have dude time you gotta have man cave you gotta have a man cave your escape gotta have like nfl sunday ticket uh you gotta start a billiards yeah billiards you gotta have like a little league you got to run a little league youth team mm-hmm. um, just so you can coach kids and like. You know. I think that I'm getting. You know, you're right. You're right. You've got to have enough testosterone. I would say I'm swimming in E, estrogen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but I'm tricking my daughters to giving me more tea time. Like I, I, they, two of them play soccer and I'm a coach. Um, they all like Star Wars. Boom. Um, we are so excited to go to the next movie. In fact, we are seeing the next Star Wars the day before it opens. Yes. Wow. How are you able to do that? Uh, He's a professor, dude. He's famous. Dude, I'm just... I call Silly him. Question. Yeah. No, you know what? I, you could try to order these tickets, but here's the secret. The website always crashes when the Star Wars tickets go on sale. Mm-hmm. So you, I went to Southdale. No one was there. And I bought tickets for Thursday night which is the day before it officially opens, and then Friday and Saturday. So we're going to go three days in a row. That's awesome. Oh. Plus, I love beer. And mm. if you love beer, I don't have my kids drink. Love I don't that. want anyone to think that. Uh, <laughs> but I love beer, and if you have enough beer, your testosterone is going to be just fine. Another bad podcasting. Uh, are you a big fan of Old Style? Um, have you had a Old Style before? I cannot think of the last time that I... Now, when I want to do old, like, hipster beers like that, I think, like, hams. Hams, sure. Uh, as long as it doesn't end in a Z, like Blitz or Schlitz or Schlatz or... But old Style, I think I'm missing out. 
Mm-hmm. I think I gotta start trying old style. You a big like IPA hipster guy? I like hoppy beers. Okay, nice. Love it. Yeah, we could say this like a, what, a Sammy Adams ish. Ish. With a but to stay. But to stay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I like it. I'm gonna buy a twelve pack today. I might drink the whole twelve pack just oh, so my allegedly. TV inter- yeah, allegedly. We'll cut that. Right. right. <laughs> All right, wow. so back to the rape my professor. Yeah, we yeah. have a game. Game alert for marketing game alert, interns. Game alert. We always play a game with every interview we have. And we don't really tell the guests prior to All right. the game. Mm-hmm. Let's roll. So you ready? So uh, we did a little research, and uh, we looked up your rate my professor. So are you ready? I'm ready. Do you, well, do you already read these, by the way? I'm sure you I have not read these in a long time because I was chastised by my wife. One of my students years ago said... Well, I got a number of good ratings. I, I read those and felt good. And then one student gave me like a one and said he's full of himself. And it's sort of true. And I was just, I was shocked. Oh. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you know, I, how could this student say this? I put so much energy into teaching. I love my students. And my wife looked at me and said, you turn that off. That's for the students, not for professors. So I, I don't look at it. Uh, but now I guess I'm going to learn something about rate my professor. Yes, you okay. are. So uh, let's go ahead and get after it. First one. Dr. Abram has the best head of hair of any St. Thomas professor. It's quite the distraction in class. Don't take him unless you're good at staying focused. Thoughts? What's your question? I don't believe that's on there because I'm shaved head. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, next one. Is that really on there? Um, we're reading. We're reading them. Oh, wow. Holy smokes. <laughs> um, he never stops talking. Dot, dot, dot. Very knowledgeable. Dot, dot, dot. But come on, dude. My attention span is not that good. So are you asking for commentary on well, these? We're just curious to your initial reaction. Yeah, we're so big uh, first impression guys. Yeah, okay, so here's the deal. Yeah, um, that's true. I talk a lot, uh, but I... So students gave me an acronym called the RTG, Random Thought Generator, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And because I just go off into random thoughts in the middle of class. And some students complain about it, actually, but I, I do it on purpose. Because I, I look out over the class, I'm like, they need a mental break. And mm. I just go into a story. Usually it's about me, but sometimes it's about Tiff's and Thirsty Thursdays and maybe other other students. And I do like a... I, I often get distracted, but it's intentional. Mm. And so that student is the perfect student where I come up with these kind of breaks. It's, you know, it's before the encore, it's the band's taking a break for a while. But I, I do... I do hear where that student's coming from. It's hard to concentrate when someone's talking for a long time. Okay. Right on. Okay, next one. Uh, take Abraham's tr- heat transfer class if you want to be taught by a guy who sounds like Charlie Day from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know, I, I, ha- I, I don't know if that's a compliment or a put-down. I, I, I would say compliment. Well, Charlie Day's like, the man. You're leaning back in your chair, and that means you are confident in your compliment. Mm-hmm. So I love it. He's the man. I'm, I love it. I love that one. Okay. I might even nice. frame that. Okay. Right on. Um, this is a similar kind of, this guy, the last one related to your voice. This one's more of your uh, physical features. It says, mm-hmm. um, Professor Abraham looks like the guy from the Goofy movie that is one of those really minor characters that no one can remember his name, but I can't stop thinking about him, and now I'm Googling. You're making this crap up. You are making this up. <laughs> the Goofy movie? What is the Goofy movie? I'm Googling Goofy movie right oh, I now. I up a picture just that already. <laughs> this guy. Oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, that actually is sort of me. 
but bigger eyebrows. Like, <laughs> add a monobrow to that guy, and it's me. Whoa, can you send that to me? Can you put that on your website? <laughs> Whoa. We, we are making every single one of these up. <laughs> you are? Every single one. <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome! <laughs> the second one was right on! <laughs> Next oh. one. <laughs> Pause, regroup. <laughs> that is so accurate. <laughs> you guys are really creative. You must be like a marketer communicator. Uh. Yes. I'm yeah. an engineer. <laughs> Alright, take uh, the next one. one. Abraham spent more time spinning on his head and showing off his research papers in parentheses that are all confusing as hell than, te- than teaching heat transfer. That's true. Mm. That really happened. Yeah. Uh, now, so the spinning on your head thing, I don't think... So, so now that we know that these are all fake, I uh, rate my professors. Allegedly. Someone, someone per- could have written that because I did a head spinning class. The students found... I don't know. They they found a story about me in the newspaper at the the U of M. It involved a police officer, and it it was a it was a long story. It was discrimination because I was shaved head, and so we got to talking. <laughs> so, any any bald person gets discriminated. Yeah, right. I think the police officer pulled me over. Well, he didn't pull me over because I was walking. Now, uh, but that happened, and so we got talking about the past, my past, and I said that I met my wife at a disco club. Wearing a silver lame jacket, velvet pants, and platform shoes. And they're like, could you wear that in? So I said, yeah, I'll wear it in next class. So I come into the class, six-inch high platform shoes, silver lame smoking jacket, and uh, black velvet, tight black velvet pants. How do you do that? That's crazy. Uh, The velvet belt that matched the pants. And the students had disco music playing. And I just lost control. I did a head spin right there because I couldn't help myself. But it was on carpet. Mm, mm. And I tore the skin off the top of my head. Oh. So I had a scab. Similar and, to the one you have right now. Yeah, but much bigger and Ooh. a circle. <laughs> and I had to go to court. I was in court as an expert witness like three days after that. So I'm like, what do I do? Because how do you shave your head with a scab? And so that was, I quit doing head spins after that. Gotcha. Mm. Well, just an initial reaction to that, maybe with a yarmulke. We cover it up. You're I didn't plan it, but I lost control. <laughs> yeah. Because the music was playing, and I am a. I, it's not like I. We in my day, we used to use cardboard. I went to conferences. One the one the county con, uh, the county uh, talent show doing break dancing. Mm-hmm. Dude, I could do a coffee grinder and a backspin like crazy. No way. Oh yeah. You're looking at a couple guys that get after the dance floor, but with uh, wildly average tenacity yeah. and resilience because we just. Don't but if it. you have resilience and tenacity, that's not average. Well, yeah. And in fact, there's something appealing. Ladies love guys who try, try, and try. They may not be good, but they try. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's where that's we're at. Yeah. Yep. Totally. We had the, We actually went to, as a, just to get better, we had the entire dance team in this room, UST dance team. We set a Guinness World Record, made headlines, allegedly, uh, for most dressed up dance girls in a podcast room. And then they taught us how to dance. Yeah, how did that work out? Uh, worked out. Like kicks? Like kick no, kind of dance? No, it was they... more just for guys that are struggling with the confidence of the dance floor. What moves should they um, so, use for their back pocket? 
Yeah, because mm. we're a back pocket. Back what, pocket. Did they, what did they teach you? Um, so le- we learned how to count. So when you're listening to a song, it's like one, two, three, four, and they're usually in those counts. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to get crazy, it's one and two and three and four and. I feel so like then this that's going to be a counts. salsa. Or so something. then now, no, so then when you're listening to a song, you just got to listen to like if it's a one, two, three, four, or if it's one and two and three, four, or, you know, like it, there's all kinds of variations. Mm-hmm. So once you get that, each each one each how does count, that trans- each count is a movement and so then you're in rhythm and then and you then can just you can do, do any movement any yeah. movement that's it's, dancing oh get out of town it's any movement it's not like a pattern well you, and so that's the difference between a good dancer and a bad dancer but n- both times they look organized they look rhythmic and that's all that matters. I think that that is a quote that came from the dance team organized and rhythmic nah I just made that up <laughs> mm-hmm. wow Okay, so so getting back to our last rate, my professor. This one was uh, was really cool. Um, it says, "Take his class. I liked it a lot." Uh, you know what? I I did my job. Okay. Mm-hmm. If someone wrote that, I did my job. Okay. Fantastic. Okay. Interesting. So that was our game. Thank you for playing. It was great. Mm-hmm. You guys had me going for a while. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Good. <laughs> that was Declan's idea. That was really sweet. Yeah. Um, so now we are cooking. Um, in length with this, yeah. with this interview. We might have to truncate, cut some of these questions. Uh, I might have to. Or maybe just shrink something. Or yeah. Other. But uh, we're going to head to the back end of the interview. We're going to hit you with a bar story, um, which we incorporated for yeah, the first yeah, time yeah. last interview with Dr. Brendel. For all of our marketing interns, please go back yeah. and listen to that interview. It was very well done, and he had a fantastic bar story. Um, and then we'll have a famous person that you met, and what did you learn today? So we'll start off with a bar story. Well... I got a lot of them because I've I'm old, mm. and I would say, and this is a story to have someone interested in me or listening. Yes. Some a story. Yeah, someone so do you want us to set the scene? We're pretty good at setting scenes. No, I don't know because I've got a scene in my mind that oh, okay. might be much different than yours. Um, I would say my bar story would be centered around the time I did the Pamplona Bull Run. Mm. And uh, it was the dumbest thing I ever did, and I think I would do it again if I could. So explain us what the Pamplona Bullrun is. Do you want me to tell you the story? Because it's like it's gonna be like six minutes, five minutes, maybe four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it starts out in Alicante. I was traveling. I was backpacking through Europe with a friend, and we didn't believe in paying for rooms, so we just slept outside or on trains. And we were sleeping on a. We also liked beer. And so we had a few beers and slept on a beach in Alicante, Spain, and we woke up in the middle of the night and someone was robbing us. And I'm a blind dude. Like, I'm so blind. But I'm also a hothead. And what had happened was... Did you have hair back then? I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I did. Wow. And I was sleeping with... Um, we. I had a fanny pack carrying all my stuff. This is in the era when we had, like, airplane tickets that weren't digital. I had traveler's checks, $1,200 in traveler's checks way back when. Mm a Eurail pass, all this crap in my bag. And the person had cut the bag off my body and was cutting it open to get the stuff out. And I heard that. So I jump up and there's two thieves and we're running through the streets. They separate. And I'm running after the Spanish dude. And I'm, all I'm thinking is, I'm going to kick his ass. But how bad can I beat him up and not get in trouble? Like, what do I do when I there's get There's a him? fine line. There's a fine line. But you know, when you're robbing a a tourist you can go pretty far mm-hmm. so anyways I'm just ready to get him and it's 4am 5am 4am it's dark and I'm blind and he he jumps a curb and I splat it was like a 12 inch curb and I just boom full speed on the pavement 
and I'm all cut up. Mm. The, the, the skin came off the palm of my hand, bloody all over. So I go back. I can't catch him now. I go back, and we, he had dropped everything. So we had everything, but I'm all bloody. My friend didn't catch his guy, and we're like, let's just go to Pamplona. So we get out. We go to the hospital. Get, that was the immediate next yep, stop. We're getting out of Alicante. We're going to Pamplona, and we get into Pamplona for the festival of San Fermin. It's like a seven day festival, and you have to book hotels like two years in advance. We didn't book a hotel, and so we're just like, all right, well we'll just hang out. And it's this big party where everyone. The champagne was two dollars a bottle, and then they have this thing where they shoot off a cannon and you're supposed to shake your champagne and shoot it in the air. Well, I don't do I was a frat guy. I drank my champagne. So I had two bottles of champagne and we were just a little crazy that day. And we go to sleep. But where are we going to sleep? We find a construction site. And it's a construction site that's open and we're sleeping in this construction site. We have to get up early to be in the bull run. And... Is this where, like, the official, like, running of the Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. And so we had had a lot of champagne. We wanted to go to sleep. It's, like, 4 a.m. We've got to get up in three hours. And we don't want to be robbed. So I fall asleep with a stick in my hand, and I'm all bandaged up. And we put all this, like, packing tape and all this you construction hear. stuff around us. And sure enough, we heard someone. And so I stand up in the middle of the night. And I'm like, I knew Spanish back then. I'm like, ¿Quién es? ¿Quién es? And they were a bunch of people from South Africa. And so we made them sleep by the door. We said, you guys can sleep over there by the door so the ladrones will come after you first. That's thieves in Spanish. Mm. Ah, nice. And so we all get up, like two hours after that, still tired, and we go to the bull run. And the bull run, first of all, you're supposed to be a male over 18 and not high or drunk. And they give announcements and, you know, you're not supposed to do it, whatever. So we're, we're, in, this, we're in this square packed packed it's like the concert you guys want to it's like a mosh pit mm-hmm. you guys know what a mosh pit is oh yeah, oh yeah okay you guys look young so we're in a mosh pit and what happens is a cannon goes off and that cannon means the humans can go and the hu- we have you have about a half mile to run and what happens is everyone starts crowding and falling and trampling each other and fortunately, I'm taller than most of these other Spanish people, so I'm, like, climbing on their shoulders trying to stay up out of the morass of people. And my friend and I get separated. And everyone's, like, hurt, you know, bones broken, whatever. And we, we, we end up reconnecting. And then we hear the second cannon shot. And that means the bulls have been released. And they start out, like, 50 yards behind the humans. So now they're running. 50 yards? Yeah. That's it? Well, we have two minutes. There's two oh, they minutes. Give you a two minute head two start. Minute head start. Just... So we start running. Now, if you know about the, the the bull run, there's certain areas that are dangerous, like Hamburger Corner. Because it's tight? It's tight. And it's in the morning and it's on a cobblestone street. Oh. So the bulls can't navigate that with hooves. So what happens is the bulls run, they slide, they fall slide into the corner and they push you up against the wall. And it's all walled off. You can't go anywhere. And so so we, we had mapped out the area the day before, so we're like, we knew all the dangerous places. But most humans, most of the runners, get through the race before the bulls come. And we're like, man, we may never be back. We want to see the bulls. So we stop. And we wait for the bulls. And we're waiting there. And then we start walking, and the crowd's getting thinner and thinner and thinner. And then we start running, a slow jog, you know, just sort of a trot. And this Spanish dude comes by me. 
and he's yelling, Los Toros Vengan. The bull's coming. The bulls are coming. Yeah, I did the subjunctive, you know, veneer is yeah, coming. Veneer, I'm like, like oh, holy crap. The Third year Spanish. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and, and my friend was from Sweden. He didn't know Spanish. So I start taking off. He starts taking off. We're running. And at the end of the bull, at the end of the run, the street turns like, you're, you're getting nervous. Your, your heart rate's going <laughs> to. Uh, at the end of the run, the street turns like 90 degrees, and then it gets narrow as you go through the doors into the arena. And the run ends at the arena. The bulls go into the arena. Well, the flux of humans. Well, oh, man. If the area min- goes if, down. If you're minimizing area, oh, you can walk on here. Yeah, trains. good luck. So we're running, and we remember, I remember from the day before, like, this is where you're going to hit people because it's constricted. So... We ran, and you don't ever look back if you're running in the bulls. Because if you look back over a cobblestone, wet cobblestone street, you're going to fall. And, in fact, there was this blonde girl running next to me. And I remember her falling, screaming and falling. And I'm sort of like, maybe I should stop and help her out. Uh, except the bull's probably right behind me. So I'm just going to keep running and hope she's okay. Natural selection. She was actually on TV. She fell. She got up. The first bull ran over her. She Ooh. got up again, and the first and the guy ran over. I mean, she was a disaster. <sighs> so you just run straight. And so I'm running straight, going through the doors. Just as I go through the doors, humans go right or left, and the bulls just go straight into the arena. Just as I go, a guy falls in front of me. I stepped on his head, and a bull hit me. The first bull actually hit me from my knee to my shoulder. It hurt. So you had to cut tackle. Because you, I don't know what a contact is. Yeah, well, whatever. And he, did, the bull hit me with its shoulder, and it hurt. Right in like the back of your leg, you said. Uh, from here to here, okay. Because it, it was like the okay. bull's shoulder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And fortunately, a photographer from the newspaper took a photo at that instant. So I have, and I was hanging out with some Swedish people. Now we left that day, and they hung out. They stayed in. Uh, Pamplona for a few days and I get a photocopy in the mail and it's a photocopy from the newspaper and it's me stepping on a guy's head running like this with my bandage and a bull right behind me do you have the picture? oh yeah I'll bring it to class can you send it to us? oh yeah Mm -hmm. we gotta have that for her it's grainy but you can see me that's awesome wow that's (laughs) the best bar story we've only done two but the other one was amazing though the other one was very good and yours was very good, and you're setting a tremendous precedent for future interviews to come. Here we go. Oh, so, it's, it's a legacy rep yeah, at this yeah, point. It's right, it's legacy right. Rep. Yep. Like the, let each generation's continue yours. Let, <sighs> let each generation's accomplishments continue, continue yours. Um, I think that's how we're going to conclude the podcast. We're I, not, think, oh, I think that's the perfect ending. The bar story I think it was is. phenomenal. I think it was um, thank you so much for joining us for this hour. It was fantastic. Pleasure. Yeah. Anytime, guys. Mm-hmm. And that was our interview with John Abraham. Absolutely fantastic time with that man. I mean, getting that was my first opportunity to meet him, and I enjoyed every second of it. Yeah, absolutely. I um, mean, you you had the most killer rate, my professor one, just by the way. Thank Wanted you. To go ahead and congratulate you on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, hopefully we get him on maybe in the near future again. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and finish our uh, podcast like we always do. Um, if you made it this far, congratulations. Um, it's been a long journey. Um, but as we always do, we always finish with a feel-good story, and or what did we learn in a feel-good story? So, uh, Andrew, what did you learn? 
Um, I learned that coming up with costumes at the last minute is always an option, and I successfully was able to do it yet again. I think this is the uh, the 21st time I've done it, and it's been phenomenal every single time. Scratch that, probably only four, because my mom helped me out with the previous um, 17. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, my mom um, definitely made my costume like, yes. until I was in college, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but I came up with a costume... The day of, I was a gnome, just your average gar- garden gnome, and uh, I mean that pretty much sums up who I am and who uh, this what this this podcast is. It's just a bunch of gnomes being gnomey yep. and gardening, protecting the garden. Uh, and Declan, what did you learn today? I learned uh, going off the Halloween theme that you've set forth. Um, I learned that Halloween 2017 was the year of the guys in onesie costumes. Um, so I saw like way too many guys dressed up, including myself. In onesie costumes, and it's a great. It was a great movement. I was a part of it. I was a stormtrooper, and I was comfortable all night. And and there, it was twenty bucks at Target. So whoever came up with the onesie idea, uh, great success to you. Uh, a big applause and uh, thank you. So uh, a feel good story, Andrew. Yes, I have a feel good story. Excellent. Um, my parents um, stayed out, uh, enjoyed the night with the guys from the back pocket for the first time. And I think across the board, we got a five-star review on just uh, a person-to-person experience. Okay, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, nightlife with the guys from the back pocket is pretty much unknown. It's uh, very secretive. I don't know if we live too secret of a life, but, you know, people people don't know. And, uh, you know, we had your parents out who are probably the number one people to know what we what, who would want to know what we do at night. Correct. And so, you know, we, we shared that experience with them. Uh, John and Sarah, you did a great job. Uh, also, Carol, thank you for being there. Halloween mom. Uh, yes. That was great. Uh, but yeah, just an all-around fun time. Good time, guys. Good time, people. Just having a blast at the Bangers Ball. So, you know, with all that being said, uh, we hope all of our marketing interns just have a great time this week as we did at the Bangers Ball. We love you. Take care. Take care. Take care.